This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. This feels hilarious to be interviewing two people that I talk to every day. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu with a new episode of Women Who Travel, where I'm getting to talk to my very own colleagues and Condé Nast Traveller editors, Artie Manon and Sarah James, about the 24 places to go in 2024. Artie and Sarah, could you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what you do at Condé Nast Traveller? So I am Sarah. I'm the Deputy Digital Editor I'm in London, so I work across Condé Nast Traveller UK online. And Sarah, I will say you also seem to know every single restaurant publicist in London because last time I was home, you hooked me up with some amazing meals. Yeah, food is my my jam. So I've been to every restaurant either myself or I send our team. So yeah, if yeah, anyone needs a recommendation, condénastraveller.co.uk. <laughs> and... Artie, talk a little bit about what you're doing for Traveller and how you're working with all the different Condé Nast Travellers around the world. So, hi, yes, I'm Artie Menon and I'm the Global Digital Director at Condé Nast Traveller. I live and work in New York with Lale, work very, very closely with her. You don't, well, you don't live with me. Sometimes it feels like we live together. <laughs> we practically do. That's a little bit scary. I think I spend more time with you than I do with literally anyone else. Probably. And then go home and, and continue our conversations. <laughs> exactly. Which is a little bit scary and know each other's wardrobes intimately and what we're doing for Sunday brunch, et cetera, et cetera. But um, back to work. I work with an incredible team of editors and writers not just in the US, but across our teams in different markets like the UK. I work with Sarah really, really closely, as well as editors in Spain and the Middle East and India and China. I co-lead this list each year with my wonderful colleague, Megan Spurrell. And yeah, excited to be here and uh, to be talking about it. So much of how I travel is shaped by working at a travel magazine but I'm interested to know kind of how you came into it and how that informs the decisions you make as travel editors. So for me a lot of my proclivities and inclinations as a traveler have stemmed from my earliest memories of travel. For instance I have a deep deep fondness for train travel and slow travel and that's because my parents made it a priority for us to go on a lot of different train trips. And Sarah, what about you? 
when I was a kid, you know, you don't really get to choose where you're going. My parents would take me back to the same corner of France every year. And I was like desperate to go to Disney World. They must have been so annoyed. Oh my God, <laughs> I did the same thing because I'd, I'd get taken to Turkey every year. Yeah. And I would just complain. I, want, I wanted to go to Disney World. Yeah, I would just complain. Have either of you been to Disney World? No, never, because now that makes me want to cry. Uh, exactly <laughs> the same. Never been. Now understand why my parents never wanted to take me. But I resented them as a seven-year-old. I have to say that this year's Best Places to Go list is the biggest and the best and the most interesting. And I apologize to all of my former colleagues who worked on it in the past. But how on earth do you set about even narrowing down a short list of what is going to appear on Best Places to Go? We put a call out to our writers and contributors to pitch us what they think will be the most exciting destination in 2024, anchored with really, well, newsy news. This is the first year we've really tried to take this list and make it sort of really robust all across the world, wherever you are. If you're in Australia and you're not leaving that part of the world in 2024, there's still so many places on this list that you can go to. We have teams in Spain, Dubai, India. Is getting those recommendations that only a local person would know, really like rooting down into a destination and finding the coffee shop or the artist that, that our readers would love to hear about and love to be inspired by. We're talking about 2024 and each of these destinations is in one way or another, some louder, others quieter, but are having their moment in 2024. I was just going to say the other thing, all of these places offer luxury and that doesn't necessarily mean swanky new hotel although sometimes it does it might mean the luxury of taking your time slow traveling somewhere or getting into nature and exploring a landscape i think all of them have to offer that kind of exceptional incredible opportunity for the traveler that they want to grab hold of we have a process and a framework and are very clear about why we're picking what we're picking. And the fact that we're all signed on to this sort of vision mission of picking the most diverse and again, not just geographically diverse, it's also sort of diversity of some of these milestones. So it's not just the big luxury openings, it's the it's the launch of, uh, of a new uh, but very historic cycling route or it's the ability to traverse a landscape previously inaccessible or it, or sometimes it's just a waterfront park that, that is going to allow you to um, explore and experience the city differently or an Amtrak train route that connects two very important Southern American cities that haven't been connected for years. So, so it really is about offering people opportunities in their sort of in their backyards but further afield and things that are not just sort of fancy and expensive and bucket listy. I'm really glad that you said not fancy and expected and bucket listy. Does anyone say fancy anymore? I say weird? fancy. <laughs> but I mean I was gonna say this might <laughs> might be the wrong crowd so um <laughs> to test that one. Um but I say fancy. And, you know, Condé Nast Traveller, we're known for having a lot of fancy places on our website and in our magazine. Yeah. But I had when, you know, when I was preparing for this, I had jotted down a bunch of things I wanted to talk to you both about. And budget 
and accessibility from like a budget perspective is one of them for me. You know, when you're plotting out the year and where you want to go, there's firstly, there's only so many vacation days and, you know, you're kind of within the limits of your own kind of financial boundaries. Mm. But, you know, I think how how important is it to make it budget friendly and also I think to like have fun with that as well. Sarah, I'm interested to know how you were factoring that in and thinking about it for yourself as a traveller as well. I think things are hard. Times are hard. Travel is expensive. It's something I certainly think about every time. I I do exactly what you're saying. It's it's December. I'm thinking, okay, 2024, what does this hold for me? The way I travel tends to be kind of picking my one big trip. This is what I'm going to spend kind of my money and my, my annual leave on. And then the rest of my travel will be a bit smaller, a bit more budget friendly. But I think the joy of this list is that, I mean, first of all, it really depends who you're calling your sort of regular traveler. What's expensive for me would be a trip to Japan, whereas to someone who lives more locally to Japan, that that might be a lot more easy. For me, taking a trip to Yorkshire or Scotland is hugely inexpensive. Um, I can do that, you know, very accessibly in terms of time and money. So the fact that we have these continent trips, you can kind of pick and choose based on on what your budget looks like. One of my favourite stories in this list is actually Kosovo. And that is not an expensive sort of story that we've told that at all. It's all about these hiking and cycling routes. So they're opening this new cycling route going through the Rugova, I think is how you pronounce it, mountains. You go past waterfalls, you go through caves. It's not luxury in the traditional sense in that you're not staying in a in a four seasons or a six senses as amazing as those properties can be it's luxury in that you get to see these pristine landscapes you get to be in nature you get to spend time going slower and rooting down and understanding what makes a country tick so i think in terms of budget there's kind of something for everyone there's kind of something if you're looking to blow the budget birthday honeymoon you want to go wild and there's something for if you just want to see the world without remortgaging your house I love that you say that, Sarah, because, you know, I'm guilty of this too, which is that when I think of the word budget, I have like very specific images of what budget travel or a budget holiday looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's very limiting. It's very unimaginative on my on my part. Um, And I think of like some of the most memorable and beautiful places I've ever stayed have actually often not been luxurious in any way. Like one of my favorite places I've ever been been to and given I had to get there and that was expensive because it was in Japan but it was this tiny little ryokan on a hiking trail in the middle of nowhere that had like four rooms and my room was one of those very simple ryokan rooms where it was just like a futon on the floor and this incredible view of the mountains and the forests and that was it and I think of it every day I think you're really getting the experience. It's, you know, it's not about staying somewhere with a butler and 17 Michelin star restaurants necessarily. It's about understanding a destination and the people that live there. Those are the most memorable travel experiences. And yes, it costs money to, to get to Japan. You're right. But once you're there, you don't have to be spending thousands and thousands of pounds a night. I love that we're talking about sort of what, what does luxury even mean. And I'm thinking of of things like 
you know, I was talking to, I'm, I'm in India at the moment with, with my parents in, in a city called Hyderabad in Southern India. And I was talking to a friend of mine who is Indian and has an Indian passport. And she's, she's been talking about how hard it is to travel with, um, visa wait times, um, sort of being really, really, uh, insurmountable. And I'm thinking about sort of passport privilege and, and I, it makes me think of calling out Mongolia which is one of the destinations on our list, doing away with visas for a year and a half. And granted, of course, you still have to go get to Mongolia and it's it's no cheap trip. But, you know, there's luxury can mean so many things. Luxury could mean not having to get a visa. And visas are very expensive. I used to have an Indian passport. I can tell you that I spent a lot of money on visas. Stay with us as we keep traveling to some of the amazing places we've picked. This week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's never held elected office, but he's still running for president. There's nothing in the United States Constitution that says that you have to go to Congress first and then Senate second or be a governor before you're elected to the presidency of the United States. A conversation with RFK Jr. on the New Yorker Radio Hour from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Detroit has this really ambitious waterfront park development that's going to change the the city's waterfront and how both locals and and travelers will experience the cities. You mentioned the waterfront in Detroit and you kind of emphasized that nothing really gets on this list without there being a level of newsiness to it. Why is having something new so important? Newsiness is important because it helps people make picks, right? When you think about how three years ago we were all stuck in our homes watching TV and uh, mixing too many gin tonics for ourselves and and sort of being really, really burdened by how complicated the world was. And and, and think about us now. And, and, and of course, the world is still very complicated and, and often troubled, but we have this wonderful luxury of being able to travel and pick again and go to far-flung places and dust off those bucket lists. And so I think that having it anchored in newsiness helps people pick from a million different, you know, options. But when I say new, it's often a new or revisited or revamped. So, yeah. You mentioned how complicated the world is. At the moment, it feels like, well, what's the point of a list like this when there's so much sorrow and complexity happening across the world. How, how can this list make people feel hopeful about the world? I think there is... Certain... Big question. Sorry, guys. Let me just explain the world to you. Yeah, Sarah, <laughs> can you just, just fix it for me? Thank you. I think there is so much hope in this list. And I was thinking about how many of the places on this list are doing truly amazing things with sustainability that don't just boil down to planting some trees. 
You have places who are doing like amazing coral reef conservation in Mauritius. In Botswana, you have these amazing community-owned concessions, which are kind of opening up the land and giving it back to the people who, who it belongs to, basically. And one of my favourite stories in this list is um, about Accra in Ghana. It talks about um, these amazing food movements. It's called the Ghana Food Movement. Um, and, I mean, I'll read you what it says. It says, a network of food change makers intent on servicing the sexy and sustainable food. Um, and it's all about kind of indigenous menus, championing local people doing amazing things with heirloom ingredients, ancestral ways of eating. Um, and I think traveling to these places and and getting to know these stories which are making a huge difference for the planet for communities is is one of the best outcomes of travel and i just think there's a lot of, of fun to be found in this list so in that same acra story it talks about the club scene and the sort of west african music scene and these amazing festivals like um afro futures i know in the asia list we talk about how I will do anything to bring up Taylor Swift, how Taylor Swift is going to like revitalize the Singaporean sort of gig tripping economy for the first time. And I think there is so much joy to be found in just traveling for fun and to be silly and to have a good time. And that's enough a lot of the time. Well, and I really like what you were saying about this food movement in Accra, because, you know, it's talking about sustainability and it's getting people to kind of challenge themselves and think about eating and living sustainably but it's through actually a really enjoyable experience yeah a hundred percent i promise you if you eat at any of these places on this acra story you will you'll be better do love the fact that one you both bring up accra i feel like that is the hot ticket item and i feel like we're all gonna have to fight over who gets to go there first and another really fun mention uh for me we have santa fe on our list and oh my god i, I know I, you want to go here too well no i've <laughs> been and i've been to zozobra and it's you yes okay talk about it and then i'll tell you about my experience okay so santa fe obviously has held its own for a while and it's known for its wonderful adobe style architecture and then it has all these wonderful art institutions and actually in 2024 it's going to see the first ever indigenous fashion week that'll showcase indigenous designers and artists which is going to be very very exciting as well as an indigenous contemporary art fair etc but 2024 also marks the 100th anniversary of the burning of the Zazobra, which lali you've been to very jealous but it is a much loved kind of uh, cultural affair and essentially uh and Ali, you can tell us more but there's this 50-foot effigy called old man gloom and it is stuffed with let's call them paper glooms is sort of parking tickets or uh onerous paper paperwork like uh things that bring you sadness or make you mad like divorce summons and things and you set it all alight and it's super cathartic for everyone so I really, really want to go. And I, I think, again, a few of us are going to have to fight over who gets to go first. But tell tell us how much you love Zozobra. Okay, well, I love New Mexico and I love Santa Fe. And, you know, when I first moved here, I ended up befriending, and they're still my friends, these triplets from Santa Fe, um, <laughs> who then the had already. <laughs> all of these other friends from Santa Fe that had moved to New York. So weirdly, I ended up knowing loads of people from there. Everyone who's grew up there is very cool, um, is one of my takeaways. 
And I've been to a couple of weddings there. My friend Dustin, one of, one of the triplets, has now moved back. Um, so I've had some great excuses to go. And I did go to Zazobra in 2019. And the effigy is as large as it looks in the pictures or even more. It's a true spectacle. And it's, you know, it's out in the desert. Well, I mean, it's in town, but the, ta- you know, Santa Fe's in, in the desert. Everyone for, for of all ages comes out and you get to burn your gloom as part of the tradition. But I love everything about Santa Fe. You know, it's the food and the, the landscape and the sort of access to the outdoors. Again, like being from the UK, I was just the first time I went there, it felt like I was on Mars. It's just, it's one of my favorite places in the world. What are the destinations that you are most excited about visiting this year? Which are the ones that you're going to be fighting other editors <laughs> to make sure you get to go on assignment to? I have two answers to this. One is very predictable, is Yorkshire in the UK. I'm completely obsessed with food and Yorkshire is having this incredible foodie moment. There are so many sort of Michelin mentions. But then there's also these amazing little pubs, um, and, and cafes, which are really serving sort of good old hearty northern grub using the best produce in the area. Um, my other one is actually from one of the local lists. It's from Europe and it's Bodo in Norway. I'm one of those people that I guess always associated going on holiday with being warm. I think maybe that's a British thing. I'm not, I'm never warm here. Um, and I just associate it. With- it, it might be. I'm still a bit like that yeah. even now. Although I did go to Montreal in, in the depths of winter last year and I highly recommend it. It was great. Well, this is the thing. I always thought I wanted to be in my bikini, drinking a pina colada in the sun. And I think partly because of what's happening in the world, not to go back to guilting anyone for going anywhere. Um, you know, we saw this summer, there was so many wildfires and it's making kind of peak summer travel in Europe quite difficult and unsustainable in lots of ways and I think we're seeing this real trend for something we're calling coolcationing which is kind of seeking out colder destinations colder climes and Bodo is this tiny arctic fishing village it's been named the European capital of culture for 2024 which I think is the most northerly it must be the most northerly um, city that's ever had that it's a gateway to the Lofton Islands which again is amazing for food you can see the northern lights and I can't think of anywhere I'd like to be more than freezing cold immersed in that nature and kind of getting to see what the arctic circle has to offer and Artie can you narrow it down to two I'm going to make you the Magdalena River in Colombia it is the largest and one of the most important waterways it is the country's sort of economic artery but also sort of the cultural heart and for the first time ever, uh, via a river cruise company called Armour Waterways, there will be two new ships that will debut voyages up the river and uh, leading people up to a UNESCO-designated city called Mompox. And um, along the way, you sort of really witness life on the shoreline and pass by several historic and cultural landmarks. And I think that's probably high on my bucket list. I also really want to go to, I've been wanting to go to Guatemala for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody who loves design and local craftsmanship, I think there's a lot going on there. 
obviously there's uh, Mayan ruins and beautiful jungle and and really really rich indigenous history but there's also new infrastructure for tourism right so hotels and and historic properties that have been converted into really interesting boutiques and and cafes etc so Guatemala also on my list and you know the one thing that we haven't talked about is is that the cool thing that this list does is that it also features uh neighborhoods within cities and towns and so we we try and go as micro as possible so there's a revitalized Chinatown in Bangkok and I've been waiting for a reason to re- return to Bangkok More ideas on where to visit this year coming up You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. trying to remind myself. Me too. <laughs> um, the Cyclades is on this list in Greece, which I have been lucky enough to go to. And it's funny because the Greek islands is is kind of as a hero destination in the UK. People love Greece. They always have, I think they always will, it's sort of that ultimate summer, bleached out, blissed out paradise of islands big and small, of, of places like Santorini, which is, has amazing hotels and restaurants, to the really sort of off-the-beaten-track one. I mean, you can spend days getting to some of these Greek islands. You know, there's one ferry, and it takes seven hours, and, and you can only go once a week. Some of them are sort of closer to Turkey. They all have these kind of different influences, as, as so many islands do. Um, Santorini is such a sort of eye-roll destination to to bring up. Um, it's, it's not exactly unexpected, but um, it's an amazing island. It's, it's really beautiful and they're doing really hard work to kind of stop over tourism there. And I think I'm desperate to go back, always to Greece, always trying to squeeze in a little trip. The one destination that I've been to repeatedly, but I'm very excited to return to in March is Singapore. So when you think of Singapore, you're thinking this impressive skyline and big city lights. And Sarah just talked about earlier in the interview, Taylor Swift's very low-key visit to Singapore in 2024. So you're thinking big and dazzling and beautiful and modern and a little bit kind of sterile. But I love that the write-up about Singapore focuses on the green belts, the parks, the landscaping and the, the, the cycling routes and cycling infrastructure and all these. And I, I think it's called a green network. It's sort of connectors between parks. So, I mean, just kind of turning a known destination on its head or, or you, just when you think you know a destination, you actually don't. And I think that's the beauty of, of, of these lists and other lists like these is that just when you think you absolutely know something and you've been many times, there's always a reason to to revisit. So I'm very excited to go back to Singapore because I will be boarding the Eastern and Oriental Express as it returns to Southeast Asia. And, and I will be aboard heading into the forests of Malaysia for a couple of 
days. So that's something to look forward to. I'm riddled with jealousy on that one, I have to say. (laughs) What are just some of the like, you know, just for people to visualize, um, what are just some of those like drop dead gorgeous landscapes? Because also this list is so visual. Like one of the things we haven't talked about is actually as a reader, when you go through it, it's so beautiful to look at. The landscapes are pretty special. I think French Polynesia hooked around the fact that it's it's going to host the 2024 Paris Olympic surfing. I mean, it's 118 islands. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. You also have the Kimberley in Australia, which is kind of one of the world's last wild places. There's amazing waters and, and cliffs and ancient sites. And there's a lot of infrastructure opening up there that will allow travellers to kind of see it for the first time in a way that that doesn't take from from the region that kind of gives back which is really exciting and the one which I just lost over basically every day is always going to be the Okavango Delta in Botswana you can't get much more kind of drop dead gorgeous than these plains and it's got these zebras running through water and if we're talking about places that are kind of as far away as my flat in central London that's it that's that's where I want to be right now I, I think about Quebec a lot and growing up, we did a lot of um, wildlife anchored travel, uh, and so wildlife spotting is a big is a big thing for me. And the beauty of Quebec's northernmost landscapes and just the access to wildlife, um, everything from polar bears to caribou, and then you know you enjoy them in the in the presence of Inuit guides and people that have lived on these lands, protected these lands for for ever so long and you're hearing their story and you're seeing things through their eyes. And so there's many of these First Nations-led experiences in Quebec that make it one of one of my favorite destinations on on our list. And and speaking of landscape, it is absolutely stunning because a lot of these islands are unpopulated as well. All right. Last question. What was a place that ended up on the cutting room floor, that almost made it, that you're still thinking about? So I felt very strongly about Valencia in Spain. There were more places with sort of stronger news, bigger things happening. I was kind of obsessed with Valencia based on on vibes, but I'm still holding out hope for Valencia 2025. I'm always for judging something based on sheer vibes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like that's what I tend to do in pitch meetings a lot, where I then have to justify why I'm pitching a story, and I'm like, I don't know the vibes. That's how I live most of my life. Yeah, just, exactly. Just, just vibes. Well, thank you so much for talking through this fascinating list and giving me an even longer personal list of where I want to go in 2024. If people want to follow along with your travels and see where you end up and read your work. Where can they both find you on the internet? Um, you can find me at Sarah K. James underscore on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram as well. It's A-R-A-T-I-M-E-N-O-N. So that's where you follow along when you see that Lale, Sarah and myself all end up in Accra at exactly the same time. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be there partying. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, guys. Next week, a trek with charismatic camels across Morocco, from the desert to the mountain. It's truly a slow travel experience. I'm Lale Arakoglu, 
and you can find me on Instagram at Hanna. Our engineers are Jake Loomis and Gabe Kuroga. The show's mixed by Amar Lal. Jude Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. See you next week. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.